Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Adele Taylor. Adele is the Executive Director of Finance and Commercial Services at Slough Council. Now, those of you who know your local government onions will know that Slough has been in some financial difficulty. Adele joined the council earlier this year with a remit to get the finances back under control and to start to rebuild confidence and trust between the council and its residents. I think it's fair to say, and you'll probably agree when you listen, that Adele is attracted to a crisis situation and feels that her skill set is really well suited to it, and I completely agree. She's also a finance director who really gets the importance of culture and relationships, particularly when we're talking about trying to re-establish trust. There's an interesting part of the conversation where we talk about the awareness that residents have of the financial situation that their council are in and the impact that that might have on people who are reliant on council services when terms like bankruptcy are bandied around incorrectly often, then that can have a real impact. And Adele understands the need to communicate the financial situation in really understandable terms. And that's to other colleagues within the council, to members, but also residents. And I thought that section of the interview that you're about to listen to was really good. Adele also talks about the importance of diversity in the workforce and the huge value people with differing abilities bring. And finally, if you're looking for a bit of inspiration as to why working at a council or a career in local government is the right thing, then the end of this conversation, Adele gives a really powerful rallying call to people to say, come and work in a council, look at the amazing array of things we do and have a fulfilling career where you're really helping people. So let's hear from Adele. So I'm delighted to say I'm here with Adele Taylor, who is the Exec Director of Finance and Commercial at Slough Council. Adele, people will recognise you, regular listeners will recognise you from a couple of episodes ago where we met each other and recorded a snippet for the Solace Summit special, but we agreed then that it would be great to do a longer a longer interview, and I'm really thrilled that we've had the chance to do that. So for people who may not know who you are, could you just say a little bit about yourself? Um, hi, so um, I'm Adele Taylor, as you said, and I am a local government uh, person through and through, been in the sector for uh, over 20 years, won't say exactly how many years, um, and I tend to be someone who deals with turnaround, um, particularly around finance and resources. Yeah. I've been at Snell for just over six months. And um, and before that, I've worked all, all across London boroughs and in lots of different parts of around the M25, if I put it that way. So you said that you specialise in turnaround. So is that is that a conscious decision or is that something which has just happened? Um. 
it probably wasn't a conscious decision um, to begin with. I'm just somebody who enjoys a bit of a challenge and um, fixing things and finding a problem and finding solutions. So yeah. I think it's kind of naturally evolved over my career, but probably much more so in the last two or three um, placements yeah. where I've deliberately gone into organisations where I'm not going to be bored. And what has your path been to the finance director, section 151 officer, been in terms of areas you've worked in within councils? So my very first job, I came out of university not wanting to work in local government, not wanting to work in finance, not wanting to work in London. I've got a father. So you've done perfectly. You've done perfectly yeah. well there then. Yeah. So I did really well. I mean, my father was um, uh, was in local government all of his career as well. So I don't know whether it was kind of slightly, um, you know, his influence that kind of slightly helped with that or not. But I was looking for a job after university. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I ended up doing frontline finance work because I knew I could add up, basically, yeah. um, at Kingston Council, uh, so Kingston-upon-Thames, where I grew up. Um, did frontline service, sort of paying invoices, doing financial assessments, working with social care. And at that point, I suddenly remembered that actually um, that connection with people was really key and to what I wanted to do. But I also wanted to continue my studies and I wanted to, at that point, knew that something like accountancy was a good um, a good career to have. Yeah. Um, so I got an opportunity then to do on a graduate scheme at Hammersmith and Fulham a year later. So that's where I, I, I got myself into local government, did my training. But again, very service based. Yeah. So I was based with the DSOs. And at Hammersmith, it was a really Sorry, good... Sorry, just, just for people who might not know Sorry. DSOs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so direct service organisations. So yeah. those things like refuse, um, waste, yes. uh, grounds maintenance, parking, all of those kind of things. The things and that people tend to think about when, they, when they're when they asked what their council does for them. Yeah, the things people... Um, the things that really matter to people, yeah. um, because that's what they see and physically see, first of all. Uh, although sometimes they matter to people because they don't like getting a parking ticket as well, just to say, because I yes. work with the parking department. Um, but um, but we got to rotate around and we got to rotate into different um, parts of the council, which was really helpful and a really great thing with those kind of graduate schemes that you and with finance. I think that's the, the thing that really um, works for me is that you get to be nosy across the council and you really get to kind of delve into what's going on in every single um, kind of corner and aspect of the council. Yeah. So that was a really good. And then my career, I've just kind of moved through from there. And, and carried on, you know, I moved across to London boroughs. I worked in places where um, social care became a bit of a kind of specialism for me in some way. Yeah, okay. um, Which is useful now, given the, yes, yes, crisis, the crisis that now. social care yeah. is under. Yeah. And then I was really lucky. So I spent the next 10, 10 years kind of wandering my way around London, if I can put it that way. <laughs> so um, and eventually got myself up to that deputy um Section 151, so the statutory finance officer role at Ealing. Um, and then I really wanted to, to take my, I always said I didn't want to be a director of finance. I didn't want to do that. But then I suddenly, it became part of me that was like, but actually, if I really wanted to make change and make a difference, then actually, yeah. uh, you kind of, I'm, I'm one of those people that gets a little bit frustrated sometimes. I've had brilliant bosses. It wasn't, I was frustrated with my bosses. But actually, really kind of thinking, actually, if I really want to make change and, and make a difference, if I can lead an organisation or lead a division, then I'll get my wish and my want. I think the growing into senior positions like that with the right motivation is really important because mm -hmm. the, there are people who want the power and want yeah. the control and then I think there are people like you who are kind of almost reluctantly doing it because that's where you can make the most impact so I really appreciate that so just speaking of making an impact then so when, when you joined Sly uh, it was already in pretty deep crisis so what I mean I think you've already answered this but I've written this question down and I want to ask it so what what attracted you to it it's, it, it's almost like the the reverse uh, Paul Daniels question, you're the one too, Debbie McKee, yeah. what first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? What first attracted you to the crisis-stricken slow council? Um, so for me, um, I feel a real responsibility in the sector um, in terms of 
you know, we've got a really important part to play for our residents. We we only exist because people need our support, our help, particularly our most vulnerable residents and vulnerable businesses as well. And I suppose I was working in a neighbouring authority at the time, so I'd seen what from the outside and a little bit from the inside because of some of the connections, what was happening at Slough. And I could see that the skills and that I've brought elsewhere and the experience I've got elsewhere, um, that it just felt like actually I could make a difference. Yeah. And it's not that trite, oh, I could make a difference. You know, I really want, you know, not not the answer that we all give when we want to. No, um, you, it sounds job. like you thought about it in a very practical way. I've got skills yeah. which I think could, could be useful yeah. here rather than, feeling some great calling or anything yeah 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 Yeah. and and I think it was also really interesting for me because the um the adverts when they went out were really interesting they were really stark they were kind of black and white and I think it was uh, along the lines of something like um not for the faint-hearted or if you're scared look away now and that kind of slight sense of humor um which I think was much you know but but actually a real kind of message of actually we really need somebody who's going to come in make a difference and care um i think really kind of attracted me into into the role um steve mayer who was there before me he'd been there for a couple of years so he was the person that had come in found all the issues well not all of them because you you continually find things and that doesn't matter what authority you're in there's there's always things to find um so and i knew i probably wasn't the person to do that part of the job where my skills come in is at the point where almost the authority is at its most broken, its lowest ebb. Yeah. I'm the, because of my resources background and that broader piece. I know that I've got a real um, strong skills around cultural change yeah. and and taking people on a journey. You've kind of got to that real crunch point. I wouldn't be the best person at that point that where my skills come into play is it's building it back up again. building it back up again. Um, that, so that's really, why it was interesting. That's really interesting that because they are totally different skills because you need to be able to unpick and almost bring it down to its worst state by uncovering everything and, uh, and just finding all that. And then all, that is one particular skill set as you've described, mm. but then that person who's done that, might not be the one to provide the inspiration and right come on let's let's start on the right foot here let's get the right team around us and let's build back from here and just just on that how did you go about building the team around you because I know when we spoke the last time you mentioned that and you were very keen to make sure that credit was given to the people that you've brought in and that you're really excited by what you might achieve yeah I, I think it's for me, it's recognising the skills that you're going to need around you. So bringing that team in it, it, it is that point. You know, there had been a team in for two years, many of whom were interim. And again, they kind of need to be because you almost need to parachute in and yeah. dig down and, and, you know, the skills. But actually, for me, it's now building that whole team. So I need yeah. strong leaders on key um skills areas so i need somebody very strong on business partnering um to build that confidence and trust between finance and the rest of the organization Mm. um it isn't all finance's fault you know it it, sometimes people kind of go oh it's a you know it's a financial issue it's not it's not it's much broader than that but part of it is building the trust back with people yeah the information they've got in front of them and and the people they're working with and just 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 to tell on the terminology there a council finance department will have a range of business partners who are the finance person who's linked up with a particular part of the council. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So and it's it's like and, and it's not just finance. It's across a, a lot of the enabling support services. Um, but for me, it's somebody who kind of bridges that gap between the really technical, detailed debits, credits, all of the things that nobody else is particularly interested in but need to know that it's been done properly um, around the accounting and somebody who can bridge the gap between that and what's happening in the rest of the business. So I really needed to kind of surround myself with with a team that understands and gets that business partnering because the organisation is hurting mm. because you're in the spotlight all the time. You know, the minute something goes wrong elsewhere you're in on the front pages of the newspapers again and your council's being mentioned again. So 
um, and the rest of the organisation, you know, the services were still happening, things are still going on. So you need people in the finance team that will work with work really well across boundaries and with people to make a difference. You know, there are tough decisions that are going to have to be made because if you're going to live within your means, yeah. tough choices have to be made. But actually, the rest of the organisation needs to know that the people that are supporting each other to make the tough choices understand and get it. Yeah. And how do you develop and maintain a positive culture in a pressurised environment like that? I think the big thing, and we spoke about it before at Colonel of Solace, like, you know, I have this big thing around um, my, my terminology around eating the elephant. Eating an elephant. Um, eating the elephant, <laughs> eating yeah. an elephant which no elephants are harmed. I say that every yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but it's actually recognising that you to do everything all at once is impossible. And that doesn't matter whether you're in the best performing organisation, council, public sector body in the country. It's still the same. It's impossible to do everything, except the problem is in a council, you know, like Slough, that's an intervention. There is so much to do. And how do you prioritise and bring it down to what you do? So celebrating small wins and small successes is really important. Um, It's important, again, in any organisation. It's simple things like so on my management team meetings, there's a slot um, called thank you. And it's recognising somebody, whether it's in the department or whether it's um, somebody in another department um, who's done something different, you know, saying thank you. And actually then sending something from me on behalf of the management team to say, we see you, we see what you've done, we recognise what you've done. Thank you. Because people then feel seen. And and I think it's really important to kind of recognise those small wins, those small successes. And for people to feel like you know that they're the ones that are putting in the hard graft and hard effort. I think that's a wonderful idea. And I I don't know if many councils do it, but I know it's a key behaviour in quite a lot of social enterprises that deliver public services. But getting that sort of culture going is fantastic. And I think that that's really interesting. And I hope people are listening to that because it's not a big cost or it's not a big thing. It's the gesture. Yeah, and and I've just recently, and again, some of the ideas actually coming back from Solace, listening to what some other people are doing. Um, so I've just put in that. So for every person new starter, I'm going to do like a invite them for a coffee with a group of people for in my own department because I am as I'm building up a new team and building a permanent team. And actually, it doesn't matter if they're permanent or interim because they're still delivering services for me. But have a kind of half hour, hour once a month where if you're you, if you've been new that month, come yeah. in, have a coffee, tell me how it's going yeah. um, and to meet each other because you build the networks that way. Yeah. But then also what I'm also looking at is how I do that for staff who've been here for a lot longer. And I think it's some of these small things that it becomes really easy. And I know in the first six months that was the stuff that went by the wayside with me. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff that I do elsewhere. And so now it's building in and making sure that you're building in. It felt very uncomfortable not having those things in place. Yeah. But it was so difficult to kind of get stuff and prioritize things but now my focus has got to be on that really strong cultural piece how do you because at the end of the day i'm not delivering this this is my team that are delivering things exactly so we've talked about creating connections within the staff team but also important is creating connections with your residents and you know with the number of councils that are in financial peril at the minute and in the news increasingly I think people can't help but be more aware that there is a problem brewing in local authority land. Do you think people understand or are interested in what that might mean? Um, I think people are interested in what it might mean. I think they'll be interested in it in at different levels. Um, so for you, imagine you know as a, a normal resident like me, I. I I have my bins collected from outside my door, you know, my rows, the potholes. So people are, if if you're one of those residents that's kind of like a a user of services, not even by choice, it just happens. You just want to know that those things are, are they going to continue? What's going to happen? What am I going to see outside my front door? More importantly for me, though, are some of our most vulnerable residents. And we have to be really careful 
Um, if you've got um, a loved one who is receiving services, for example, you know, um, kind of social care services, um, something like special educational needs, actually, the the fear that people must have when you hear the words in a national newspaper that my council that is providing those services is bankrupt, which is not technically true, but it's the phrase that everybody uses. Yeah. I cannot even imagine how that must feel for someone. Yeah. Um, imagine if you're a carer that is just about managing because you know that, you know, care, you're getting carer breaks and respite breaks and things like that. So there's something for me um, about how we message what it means when we're in intervention and mm. being really clear and really careful. And it's really difficult because in some cases you, you've lost the trust of your residents because all they see is this national headline that you've mismanaged yeah. their money. Yeah. Not always technically true, but, you know, and and so for me, it's really important that it's that how do we get across the message that business as usual is happening or or if business as usual is going to change what does it mean for yeah. for me so it actually our communications teams become so important yeah. um and the communications we we do and that community engagement piece becomes so important because it's unsettling if you're a member of staff but you get to hear a lot more um but if you're a, an end user of services that must be very frightening yeah, I think it also just you mentioned comms teams there. Just a shout out on this to any comms professionals who want their next challenge. Look no further than councils who, you know, if you're looking for a, for to to get experience in a crisis situation, yeah. then going for a council job would be a pretty good one. So as the finance director, as, as the section 151, you undoubtedly have to make tough choices when it comes to things. And so how can you support residents to understand and appreciate the impact of the financial condition of the council and what that will have on the services that they receive? Now, you've you've talked a little bit about trying to allay the fears that people might have that essential services might be withdrawn. But there are services that councils are having to stop doing and how, how do you connect with residents and and help them understand that you know councils are no more immune to financial pressures than any other part of their world i mean it is really difficult i think it's every bit of communication that we do we have to think about um talking about money but in a and that sounds really daft but it's the value and the value that it brings and um, for me i've worked really hard i mean i know that very you know not every resident is reading for example all my um my <laughs> you know cabinet reports and my scrutiny reports and things like that but what i am actually trying to do is make sure that if anybody does pick that up and reads it that it's understandable it is not written in accountancy gobbledygook because yeah. we're really really good at that and we're really good at that smoke and mirrors and actually so working incredibly hard to make sure that any information that goes out is written in really in a style that is understandable to other people. My teams will tell you that they get things thrown back at them when I go, that's, you know, you're not telling the story. Um, you know, where's the narrative? And, and that's kind of that, I suppose that that's one of my own real personal, uh, personal things that really matters to me is, yeah. is demystifying, um, information. Um, and the reason why I talk about kind of committee reports and cabinet reports, because actually who sits of those is our councillors. Our councillors are, you know, the biggest, you know, they're in their communities. So if they don't understand what's going on and they don't understand the financial information, Whoa. when they get, you know, when they're door knocking or when they're door knocked, because we know that happens to, you know, or or they're in the supermarket and somebody comes up to them and says, here, you know, your council is really terrible. They need to understand what's going on as well. So for yeah. me, Actually, it's providing briefing and information that describes what's going on in a very simplistic way and 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 a straightforward way. It's also which is the best way. You know, it's it's yeah. it's not really dumbing down. It's the top end of good comms is making something understandable. Yeah, and for me, it's you know every single decision we take has financial implications. So, are the financial implications section? I mean. 
it used to be the case um, that, you know, finance used to be the last person would get the report on the last day. And it doesn't matter. You know, this has been throughout my career. Oh, can you just sign off a financial implication section? And, and no, just really looked at it. So, again, I talked about that business partnering relationship yeah. before. And that's really important that we've got people that in when when decisions are even being thought about at that very first early stage um, yeah. is that you've got finance people that get it and understand it and understand what it means in terms of people and impact and and can have that broad conversation so that it isn't just about the debits and credits. So those sections become really, really important in reports um, because those reports are all about decisions that are being taken. And so for me, it's kind of got to come from the top downwards for me. You know, yeah. I've got to be really clear. That's what I expect my teams to be in there i insist you know every single management team across the council has to have finance stuff and that's not i'm me saying to the services you must have them in there i'm saying to myself you must be in there um as well so it's kind of making sure that we are the enablers we're at the heart of the organization um that we understand what's going on that we know the consequences of decisions I think that is such incredible advice and I hope people are listening to that because throughout my consultancy career working with councils, I mean, I've been in a few situations where I've been working with a, mem- with a couple of members of staff on a really interesting idea that makes total sense to us and it needs a bit of investment and it's like, right, yeah, everyone's really behind this, right, okay, let's just go and check with finance and finance haven't been involved and they pick out one or two glaring things that make it impossible and if they'd have been involved from the start you know and then people get really frustrated with finance and they say oh finance is a blocker and that's not what it is you just need to make make a friend of your of your bit of your finance business partner and your life will be so much easier yeah absolutely and i you know when i look back at some of the things that i've um, been involved in in my career i remember um at one council you know we we knew that day centers for example for um people with learning disabilities they're not great environments you know in some circumstances people were kind of like being bussed there sat there not doing a lot and actually not kind of you know nothing about employability skills nothing about you know sustainability it was just somebody sat in a room and thinking about the alternative proposals I remember having to go to my boss at the point in time and saying um can I have some money for a shop please um for a lease and uh yeah and can we you know we're probably going to need business rate um uh relief and things like that and I just remember my section one point my, my director of the finance at the time looking absolutely horrified at me until I then did the classic oh by the way it does mean that actually we'll save quite a lot of money in data centres and there's better outcomes for people and this is what we're doing and the reason is we're going to take on a um, a charity shop and it's going to be about employment skills so yeah. but again and that was interesting because obviously that was in my business partnering days I should have led with and I should have known yes. I can make you a lot of savings but can I just have this little bit of money so again yeah. I also kind of try and train some of our services to go do you know what the way to kind of win my heart is to go oh I can get you a lot of savings but and this is how I do it yeah. um, but I might need a bit of support and help it's all about the argument and it's and, yeah. and, and again there for me talking to my finance director and you know i knew the things i needed at that point in time was to go oh yeah really big savings over here whereas i know when talking services you know we're talking about and here's the better outcomes for people so it's also about knowing your audience and knowing you have to be skilled at being multi-layered and 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 being able to different arguments for different people so what just something's popped into my head there how do you uh, get the balance right between your finance business partners who you're saying get into the meetings, embed in the team. How do you stop them going native and becoming part of that team and making the argument to you from that perspective when you're trying to say, look, you know, you, you've got a it's quite a balance, isn't it? It is a balance. And um, uh, we we do do that sometimes when you just go, oh, and, and who do you work for <laughs> sometimes? Yeah. And actually, to be really clear, um I did have one of my um, team turn around to me the other day and said, well, I work for the council, Adele. And I was like, yeah, OK, all right. You're absolutely right. You are trying to balance it. Yeah. But it is, it's really hard. It's a really hard skill because I do want people who understand the services and I do want them to work closely. But you're right. You've still got to have your objective head on. And actually, you fail 
to support your service in a good way if you don't have your yeah. hard-hearted business head on as well because actually the reason you're there is for those skills and that critical challenge and i think that's the biggest skill is it's that balance of trust and it's yeah. being able to um to have an honest conversation yeah. um but yeah we we at times you know we we do you and you have to be able to take that feedback in the moment and you know say to some of your, some of your team sometimes oh so, so, so you, you're now a social worker are you or or you're you know yeah, and then yeah. and they'll look at you but but again if you've built that relationship up you can have that discussion that conversation yeah, and exactly. that challenge back exactly so i want to move us on to a different topic now so at the solace summit uh diversity and inclusion big themes and you've also talked about this when we spoke before how do you approach this in your job as a finance director what what, what sort of things are you thinking about so for me it's really important um that we our teams look not like they're all groupthink and and one people yeah. and for a whole range of and, and and that can be everything from protected characteristics to to skills and experience. So we're very poor sometimes in local government at attracting talent in from outside a local government. Yeah. Um, and I'm and and we often will say things like, "Yes, I really want somebody in this role. I don't care which sector they come from, but as long as they've done local government for the last twenty years." And actually, <laughs> we have to get out of that mindset, and we have to learn to. Um, Think about what are the skills um, and the values and the behaviours that I want and not necessarily what's the experience I want. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do around kind of attracting a diverse team is to really think about your values and behaviours. Because there's a lot of things, particularly um, accountancy, finance, I can teach all of that. What I can't teach is lived experience Um, and that lived experience is really important. So for me, it's also thinking about the roots into your organisation. So, I mean, I'm in a fortunate position in one way that I'm having to build a team because I didn't have a lot of permanent staff. So I've got the the luxury in some way of um, attracting different talent. There's also something for me about retention of talent and recognising diversity and and how that comes in. But the other thing for me is if you can't see it, you're not going to believe it. So there's also something, again, I've been in a situation where we were in another organisation, we were employing graduate trainees, for example, yeah. and we had these lovely flashy brochures and we weren't, there were no women coming forward and we couldn't work out why. And then we looked at the brochures, there was not a single picture of a woman in there. And it's wow. really, it's one of those, it's subconscious, yeah. you know, because if you can't see yourself. So there's, there's something, there's a real responsibility for me, which is around actually as we, as our teams become more diverse, actually being really open about that. Um, because if you can't see yourself in those roles, you're not going to go for them. The other thing for me is I'm a real passionate believer, um, particularly in, you know, how do we bring people into the sector, particularly um, at entry level jobs or for people who are returning to the sector, whether that's because they've taken a career break or a family break. Um, and how do we create the atmosphere for people to be able to work with us? So mm. whether that's, you know, flexing hours, um, thinking about, you know, some of our skills Actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter if you, you're working a bit later in the night and you start earlier in the morning because that, that works for you. Um, because that creates a different kind of working environment and, and, and thinking about that. But also, as I say, for me, it's absolute passionate believer. Um, everybody knows I have a corporate parenting responsibility. We mm. all do in local government. So our children that are in our care, um, we are their parents. Yeah. So just like any parent would, are we creating the right conditions for them? So if you're a parent and your child is looking for work experience and you know somebody who's got a role or a job that they're interested in, you you might help enable them to do that. Well, why don't we do that for ourselves? So, mm. for example, next summer, I really want to do something. So if we've got care experience children who are interested in a career in finance, why wouldn't I put together a couple of weeks work experience for them at Slough? Because actually, you know, and things like apprenticeship routes and graduate routes 
if again I've got care experienced child who might be interested in that actually are we putting them in touch with people in my team to understand what a career in local government looks like so again it's kind of creating those kind of right conditions because then I get local people as well and at Slough how do I make a best connection with my local people is local people working in my team yeah and what about within your team uh when we've spoken before you've talked about uh you having people with disabilities for instance on, on your team and how important that's been in terms of getting different perspectives and what would you say about that so um for me it absolutely we should be looking at somebody's abilities not their disabilities for, for me it's about um somebody who we always should recognize people's abilities um and and it's just making sure that we've got the right conditions for somebody to be able to get involved when was the last time that we checked again i've worked in an organization where i had somebody um who had to use a wheelchair for example mm. but actually the finance team were in a place that you couldn't access right. if you were in a wheelchair yeah <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous situations like that we have to look at our workplaces as well that yeah. um and the way we work and the way we the way we manage our work does somebody who needs um, some extra support, I suppose, in a way to be for it to be equitable in the workplace? How do we really think about those things? Um, yeah. Because that will put somebody off mm. if, you know, if you're interviewing somebody and you've had to put them in a different room than you're interviewing everybody else in because you hadn't thought about that. You know, and it, these are really simple things, but really important. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as organisations, we need we need to think about that. Um, and disability comes in, in, in many forms. And. But more importantly, as I say, it's about somebody's ability. I, I work with um, a senior leader. um who's neurodiverse and actually mm. they talk about that being their skill um and yeah. their superhero power um because actually they think differently and yeah. actually and and it's really important that we recognize that um i've also um outside of my personal life i'm also quite passionate my my sister was um she's a she was a veteran um and there's also something about again talking about not so much about necessarily disability but ability and thing you know we sometimes are really bad that we don't recognize um people's skills so say veterans for example have um, immense skills around project management you know she, mm. she was in the navy yeah. and my goodness some of the things that they had to do project management wise yet because it's not a formal qualification they might not meet the bar of our yeah. recruitment and you go but actually they've got skills and experiences yeah. that are it's so good for us. So, again, we have to think about where do we set the bar in terms of that entry into our jobs? Do we think differently? And again, there's um, one of her friends set up a charity. He had a life limiting condition. And sometimes if we've got things like project work, we don't necessarily need somebody who's nine to five. And somebody with a life limiting condition has got skills and experience that mean that they can't necessarily um, have a permanent job. But actually, what they might have is something that we need that is missing in our organisation. And actually, we, it's the hidden workforce, I suppose. And for yeah. me, we need to work very hard on how we unlock that hidden workforce. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about self-care now. So we spoke the last time, I think we the people who've listened will know that, that you're a runner. But just I'd love you to make a pitch to people who are in stressful jobs like yours about the importance of finding time for a bit of reflection, a bit of exercise, something like that? Because can you make that pitch? Because you're in a perfect position to do so. Yes. Yeah. Um, and actually, I can make the perfect pitch because that's the one thing that I've let slide a little bit since I started cool. in that job. Um, and you can tell um, because um, my team will tell you I was particularly grumpy over the last couple of weeks. Um and I get grumpy as well when I like miss it. exercise. I had I had COVID four weeks ago and it just for a, for a few weeks afterwards, I was knackered and I just felt myself just spiraling down and, you know, missing it and missing the buzz. 
Yeah, and it and it's also you have to remember your why why you do it. So for me, um, as you say, I, I, I'm, I'm a runner, and actually I did that in lockdown. You know, and we we all worked very very hard in lockdown, but that one hour a day was precious. Mm. It was never one hour, but you know, it was that one chance to go out a day was really precious. Yeah. And actually, that was my headspace and my time to think. And actually, sometimes it's about also scheduling it when it's when it works for you. Um, so I tend to be somebody who is quite reflective. I go out, I either listen to podcasts or audiobooks that I get free from the library and things like that. Because actually, when I go out running and I go outdoors and it's the fresh air as much as anything else, yeah. I'm not a quick runner. I'm a back of the pack runner. I don't care. Uh, it's not about that. It's about stepping away from what's in front of you to give you a chance to think. Um, yeah. And if you don't do that, yes, I become grumpy. But also the reason I'm grumpy is because there's too much going on around in my head and I'm too close to things. If I don't take that time to step away, have a break, have a think about something slightly different. I miss the opportunity to make those connections that you make when you're yeah. thinking slightly differently. I remember very much in um, so... She said, I'm a runner. I'm, I'm slightly nutty when I do things. Um, so, you know, I did my first marathon in June 22. And of course, I did it in Sierra Leone, because why wouldn't you go to West <laughs> Africa to do your first, your first marathon? And actually, it was really interesting. And this is when it reminded me that we do need to talk about mental health and well-being um, and, and the importance of it much more. Um, I remember I was having to try and fit my training runs in. And when you're training for a marathon like that, you've you've kind of got to fit them around everywhere and it was a really busy time so I literally got up in the morning stuck my running clothes on I was working from home that day and I had a meeting with my IT team at the time we were doing some big um big pieces of work um and I remember chatting down the call and saying right guys okay um I'm just gonna head off I'm going I'm going out I'm gonna be out for 45 minutes I'm just gonna go out for a run I've got to get it in because I'm a training run and you know apologies that's why I'm, I'm, I'm dressed in my running gear and I got back to um a team's message from one of the um, one of the team afterwards and said is it okay if i go out at lunchtime then for a run <laughs> and and it really worried me that i was like yes of course you can yeah. um, and actually if that's you know and he said oh do you know what i was always really worried that people would think and i was like well it doesn't matter you need a break and 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 we now follow each other on Star Arthur. Um, you know, and, and, and even though I don't work there anymore and, you know, you kind of get comments every so often. And and for me, being a leader in an organisation and showing people your wiring and your homework and why you do things sometimes. Yeah. Actually, you realise that you cast a, a sh- cast a shadow or, or is the wrong phrase, but you're actually almost giving people permission to do the thing that you want them to do, which is look after themselves, because actually what's it they say you know if you're in an airplane put the oxygen mask on yourself first yeah because actually you save two people then you're no use because you save you're, yourself you're no use if you are in the plane yeah. you're no you're no use if you're unconscious in a work environment you're no use if you're, if you're burnt out yeah 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 and people seeing you doing that is just as important um yeah. and in fact this week one of my one one of my team because um since I last spoke to you I've done another marathon because of course why wouldn't you um, <laughs> so um and he was chatting and asking me about it and he said that there used to be at Slough he, he's been there that's been a long time there used to be a group of them that used to go out at lunchtime and go out for a half hour walk or run and he said oh I'm, you know we don't do that anymore and I said well why don't you do it and he said oh I don't know I said well do it again because also what he said was it was people from different teams that were getting together and doing it so again they made connections and networks so there's, there's these other benefits to some of this stuff as well so Adele last question what bit of advice would you give to someone working in or around public services who wants to make an impact in the way that you are and you have done <clears throat> I think for me I always talk a really big thing about remember your why why are you doing it and talk about your why because if we're going to in, inspire people we do we need people in our sector we need people wanting to be in these roles but really talk about your why and why you do things um because i think people need to learn a bit about you as well we're not robots um we are individuals and we care um and i just think it makes for a better 
um, better workplace, better connection, better understanding, better network with each other. But also you can inspire somebody to think they can do something um, and they can make a difference. We work in public sector because we want to. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's really inspiring, actually. And a lot of people will have read the books about understanding your why and things, and they'll do that as a personal thing. But actually what you're suggesting is that the next level there is to talk about it with colleagues and to be open about your why so that they can understand you better. And that that's probably that's harder to do. I think it's also talking about your why outside of outside of work so with your friends um, yeah. and other people, too. Um, so I'm a whole person. Um, I have different names. I'm Snowy Owl. I'm a brownie leader. My brownies yeah. know what I do for a job. They don't really always understand it. Um, but I think one of them did think I actually collected the bins the other day, which is not, you know, that's fine. Um, but I was trying to explain that wasn't actually what I did, but that's what the council, you know, get, the council does. She was very confused why she didn't see me um, out collecting the bins that morning. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you know, I do have different names. You know, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm Snowy Owl, I'm a, I'm a Dell the Runner, I'm a Dell, you know, the Dell the CFO, I'm a Dell that's passionate about um, lots of different things. We don't talk up public service and local government enough. And again, this is something I'm really passionate about. So my friends know what I do. Everywhere I go, I talk about my job and what we do and the difference we make and the difference we can make. Yeah. We're too much of a secret society. Sometimes it feels like, you know, oh, it's that council over there and, that you know, we're this kind of monolith. Well, we're not. We're a... We're a group of people that are working for our residents. And if we don't talk it up, who's going to do that? Interesting point there about it being a, you described it as a secret society. I'm not sure whether it's from the perspective of feeling that people won't be interested or feeling that it's too complicated for people to get their heads around. You know, there's 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 many angles there, but I think increasingly people are interested in we, we need to get more really good people into local public services and only by talking about it and you know removing the stigma that it's kind of almost like a dead end thing where you know you really wouldn't want to be working in a council, would you? You know, it's like a, there's such there's such exciting possibility within councils at the minute, particularly when you're thinking about re-energizing a place and trying to get more business and investment in and trying to support people to be all they can be. I mean, I'm obviously, because of what I do, I'm really sold on it, but I just don't understand what, why why people don't get more excited about it and don't see working in the council as the kind of, as a real pinnacle job to aim for. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, I talk a lot about recruitment. I've been on a lot of panels recently about recruitment because, again, it's something that I'm really passionate about. And in terms of recruiting people in sector as well, people don't understand it. Um, And when I talk about and again, I go back to the forces and it's only because they do it so well. But you sit in the cinema and you're waiting for the film to come up. And there's those brilliant adverts about, do you want to be a cook? Do you want to be this? Do you want to be an engineer? Come and join the army or, the you know, and actually, and I I, say it saying why don't we do that in local government why why are we yeah. cause the variety of things we do is so exciting and the variety of people that we work with is so exciting but also my husband works in the private sector and you know and i know and i've had to do the corporate wife bit which i'm not very good at probably unsurprised here um sometimes you know when i get that and i remember quite early on in my career when i was having you know people were talking to me about what you do for a job and actually, I'd really think about it. Oh, I'm not sure I want to say I'm an accountant and I definitely don't want to say I work in a council. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of a bit bold and braver now and I just tell them. But I do remember one one person in particular, I won't name the company because it's one we all know that he was hosting. And um, they said to me, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm an accountant. He said, oh, do you work for one of the big four? I said, no, no, I work, I work for a council. And he said to me, and I will never forget this, could you not get a proper job? No, um and uh, right and I was really proud of myself because at that point in time I was not a particularly confident person and I do remember like putting myself up to my five foot five in my boots and saying to him what do you mean it's not a proper job do you realize the billions of pounds that we spend at this council and the, how many services we provide and it's more than you do and, and this is what we do and, and I, you know I almost backed the guy into a corner um good and it was really interesting, though, that he then actually, for the rest of the evening, was really interested in what we did yeah. and he never understood it. So actually, we need to stop that kind of conversation. We need to start the conversation. I need to practice the room and go, 
I work for Slough Council. I am the director of finance at Slough Council and I'm there and this is what I'm doing and this is why we're doing it. And we need, and, and for me, I think it's probably a call to arms in a way across yeah. local government to say, you know, next time you're in a room with somebody, be proud, be proud of who you are and what we do and tell people why it's one of the best careers that you can have. Fantastic. What a great message to end on. Adele, thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thank you. There's loads of things I want to pick up after that conversation. The first is the importance for finance directors to really get the importance of culture and relationships. Great relationships between people delivering services, great culture within an organisation leads to better services and that leads to savings. I've reflected quite a bit since talking to Adele on her point about the different parts of the financial cycle and the different skill sets that are needed. So Adele talked about there being a role for somebody whose job was to go in and uncover all of the things that had gone wrong. Then there's a role for somebody like Adele to start building the organization up again, to bring in a team that can really take it forward. And then there are people who are much better at running a council in a business as usual way, if there is ever such a thing these days. So I thought that was really interesting. And Adele's clearly found her niche and her strength. We maybe spent longer than you might have expected with an interview with a finance director on the importance of good communication and demystifying the finances of a council. And Adele was really strong on this. She clearly gets you need to be able to explain to your members, to staff, to residents, what the financial situation is in a way that they will understand. And finally, there was that really passionate rallying call at the end of the conversation. Adele's appeal to those of you out there who might be thinking about joining a council, or if you're in a council and you're looking for a bit of inspiration to keep going, then I thought that was fantastic. The array of things that a council does and the impact that you can make that in a lot of other careers you just don't have the opportunity to do is fantastic and that's really inspiring stuff from Adele. So that's all for this episode and thank you very much as always for your time and don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to leave a good review that would be really appreciated.